so thankful you're here on this Palm Sunday, an amazing tradition throughout the church for many, many years to celebrate Palm Sunday, which is what we're talking about today as we start this series that we're calling Journey to the Cross. We're going to be going through the book of John for 22 weeks on the heels of what we did last summer. Last summer, we hit John chapter 1 all the way to chapter 11. And it took us uh, about 12 weeks we spent, I think 12 to 16 weeks we spent in the summer last year on the book of John. And we're continuing, but we're not just calling it the book of John because as we start in John chapter 12, we're actually starting on Palm Sunday, which is this day. And the actual acts and events that we see Palm Sunday are in John 12. But we're calling this series Journey to the Cross because the most important fact, the kind of interesting thing about the book of John is that the first 11 chapters in John was about three years long, at least, of Jesus's life um, from the beginning to the end, um, right up building up to Palm Sunday, which is here, chapter 12. So the next 10 chapters we're going to be hitting. It's going to be really interesting because these last chapters that we hit are the last week about of Jesus' life. So the first 11 chapters hit about three years of Jesus, and the last 10 chapters hit about one week, which is amazing. So we're talking about the journey all the way to the cross. Even behind me, you can see the screen. There's different four different pictures from Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday and resurrection. And so we're going to be talking about all of this over the next 22 weeks, all the way till August as we dive into the scripture. And I think it's actually amazing that the plan was to start this series anyway, before all this COVID-19 and quarantine happened. But I know God's hand has been on this because watching how Jesus deals with the crisis of crucifixion, the crisis that he dealt, that although John chapter one says he created the whole world, they didn't recognize him and ultimately killed him. That's what we're gonna be talking about over the next 22 weeks and how apropos right now for us while we're quarantined and dealing with current crisis to see how did Jesus deal with crisis? What is John trying to help us see as we look at Jesus's life and ultimately his glorification, what does that do for us to bring peace and to bring peace to the whole world? So we're gonna start right now in the book of John chapter 12 and we're gonna start in verse nine. Now up to this point, We've seen a lot of things in Jesus' life. We've seen him cure people, heal people, feed 5,000. We've seen him declare that he's God. We've seen on the Mount of Transfiguration, transforming in his glorified body and Peter and John, all of them ready to like make that the new temple. And yet Jesus says, my time has not yet come. And we get all the way to this point where he is in John chapter 11, has raised Lazarus from the dead in an amazing act of the power of God that Jesus had in communion with his father. He sees Lazarus come forth and everybody after four days stinky in a tomb, he comes out from Jesus's words come forth and all of the Jews and all the people around were astonished and amazed and thought, wow, this has to be our Messiah that we've believed in. This takes us right into 
the Passover week, which we're going to talk about as we get into the scripture today. It says this in verse 9. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he has raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on the count of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Verse 16, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. The stage is built for Jesus's entrance into Jerusalem during this Passover week. This Passover week is a very important, probably the most important part of an Israelite's life as every year they would come to celebrate this Passover. If you remember, Passover started in the book of Exodus and was one of their traditions from what happened to the Jews in history. And every year they would celebrate as commanded by God to celebrate during this time. And what they were celebrating was God actually removing them and saving them from the slavery and tyranny of Egypt in the book of Exodus. When Moses comes on the scene and says, let my people go. Everything culminates through all of these acts of God. We know these 10 different plagues and things that God brings on Egypt in order to say, I am God and you need to let my people go or these things keep happening to you. Well, the last plague that God brings on Egypt is this angel of death that is sent throughout all the camp in Israel and Egypt in order to kill the firstborn baby. Now, you might say, gosh, that's horrible. How could God be that, be that murderous or whatever? A lot of people have a hard time thinking about God is so vengeful and murderous, but you have to understand previous generations, the Pharaoh of that time had murdered every single one of the firstborn males of Israel because they were populating, growing so much and multiplying that he needed to kill away their population growth. And so they did that by throwing them over a cliff and drowning them and killing their children. And so not just a vengeful God saying, now I'm going to do that to you, but the difference between God's vengeance and his justice is this, 
He brings justice on Pharaoh and their people by sending this angel or messenger of death to kill the firstborn sons. But listen, he provides a way out. And this is the grace of God. Different than just vengeance, but justice with grace. And the grace of God is provided to all the people. And this is what God tells them. If you get a young lamb and kill that lamb, which was their custom. They're used to doing that for food and different things, but sacrifice this lamb. Put the blood over the doorpost of your home. As this messenger of death comes around in the community, if he sees that blood over the post, over the doorway, the entrance, he will not destroy your young person. And so there's this grace given in the midst of justice being done. And, and not only Israel, but the Egyptians would have known. We see later that some of the Egyptians fled and left with um, the Israelites. And so all of them would have known this is what we do. And so those that had faith to do what God had commanded them to do while watching all of these things and signs and wonders God had been doing, put that blood over their doorpost. And as that angel went over, he would pass over their home because the blood of the lamb that was over their house. Now, this is important in why this time was called Passover. For years and every year around this same time, March, April, they had a lunar calendar. So there wasn't an exact date. It was based on um, the moon. And, and that's how they, they had all of their calendar set. So they would know around this time, March, April time, they would have this Passover where they would do the same thing. They would select a lamb. They would kill it. And that lamb would then represent the sins of the people. And God would pass over or remove, and it would atone for their sin or cover the sins of the people. So this was a, this time period when Jesus is in Bethany, which is about two miles outside of Jerusalem, on the east side of Jerusalem, he would be in Bethany getting ready and prepared to go to this Passover. Now, what would be happening in this Passover was a really interesting details um, that I, I want to help you really get into the word where we smell it and taste it. And we know what's happening. This is why context is so important, especially in this time as you are maybe logging. Why do people celebrate Passover and do these different things? Well, there's a long tradition around this because of actual historic events. And what we know from one of the great historians, Josephus, which is an extra biblical commentary or his, history um, based on the first century Jews at the time, Josephus would tell us this, that usually Jerusalem at that time would hold around 50 to 60,000 people. And so people would be there all, all the time coming in for sacrifices, doing different things to worship at the temple, to learn and gather uh, from the other communities around in the Judean desert and areas. But during this time, this week, this Passover festival was so big and so huge, you would see at least double that, up to 120,000 people. So you imagine there's not enough inns, thus when Jesus was born during the same time, there wasn't enough, there wasn't enough room in the inn while they're taking census and doing everything. There, there weren't enough um, hotels, if you will, houses, people would stay with relatives, but a lot of people would camp out. 
and, and have like their, their camp out, their tents everywhere and literally like tabernacle around the area so that then they could also bring their lamb, do their family sacrifices to atone for their sin and wait for the high priest to do the grand sacrifice for all of Israel. It was this tradition started from Moses and God delivering them from Egypt. And so it was a big celebration of God's strength and deliverance and what he was able to do. This is where we enter into the city called Bethany, which is a couple miles east, as we said, of Jerusalem. And outside, Jesus is staying with Martha and Mary and Lazarus, who were brother and sisters. And previously, Jesus, we saw, had resurrect Lazarus from the dead and all these people saw. So Jesus, in the book of Luke 19, it says that he set his face on Jerusalem. Throughout many years, every year of his life, Jesus had gone to Jerusalem. In fact, when you're 12 years old in that culture, that time, you would be the one as a 12-year-old man, a rite of passage now would be to be able to get your own goat um, or your own lamb and be able to sacrifice it on behalf of the family. And, and this was a whole tradition, a thing. And again, for us, this seems it might be grotesque as we eat our hamburgers, um, which is similar, but for us, it might seem like that's just so weird or sadistic, but in their culture, it symbolized the freedom that they have that God will bring ultimately. It symbolizes that he was atoning for their sins. And so such a big festival. So I want you to picture as Jesus, as we see in the scripture, and this pass, this, this uh, not just Passover feast, but this specific day, this is Palm Sunday that we call it now. Jesus is traveling on a colt or a donkey, which is amazing. He, 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 earlier, the way he got this donkey was he told his disciples, hey, um, I want you to go and see this man and just tell him, I need your donkey, it's for the Lord. I need your colt, it's for the Lord. And the guy just did it almost like a Jedi trick, like give us this donkey. And, and they just, he did it. He knew something was up. Maybe the Lord had stirred in his heart, but he was re ready and willing to sacrifice his donkey. And it's really crazy that Jesus would ride in in this time, this Palm Sunday, on a donkey. Because see, Jesus walked everywhere. Um, a donkey would represent peace. As a king walking into a new kingdom or coming through the gates of a new kingdom, you would have a king that would either sit on a donkey or come in on a chariot. If the king comes in on a chariot, he means war. If a king comes in on a donkey, he means peace. I bring peace and good tidings, good news. And Jesus is getting ready, sets his face, knowing even though he's done this many times, that he's heading towards his death. This grand entrance that Jesus is coming into is the most grand entrance of all time. All of us have experience and maybe every day experience a, a, a grand entrance of some sort. Right now, we miss our grand entrance, maybe into our workplace. We miss our grand entrances. But hey, if you think of like a grand entrance that we have today of, of a bride entering for the first time to see her groom as the music rises for the wedding and everyone stands, this grand entrance. Uh, I, I think of the grand entrance of my kids, my three children, that, that as I entered into the hospital room with my wife, I knew it was going to be a grand entrance because my exit was going to be very different. I was going to have a very different exit. I was going to be a different person. I was going to be a dad and I was going to have some responsibility. I came in one way in my entrance and I left a whole different person. Well, Jesus's grand entrance 
into Jerusalem was even more effective, was even more amazing in this sense. He's coming on a donkey, bringing peace, while people are shouting words of Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, which is an echo from the prophet Zechariah, chapter 9, who cried out that we see, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And the people recognize this is the Messiah raising people from the dead, doing all this work. He's coming in peace on from this east side, from this area. And they're laying these palm branches, really date palms in Israel. Date palm branches are laying them at his feet. And these palm branches represent their country. Uh, we found, archaeologists have found coins of Israel. They would never put a person's face like Moses on the coin because that would be considered breaking the law, a graven image. But they would have, they have found, archaeologists have found palm branches on their coins. So in essence, that would relate maybe to us in America. It would be like if we had the, the American flag and we were laying it out in front of somebody coming into some national huge convention, some huge party festival that we had planned. This is what is happening. And the Roman ear would be close. The Pharisees would be close. The religious people would be close to the point where they would be upset and be afraid that Rome would be coming ready to kill them. You see, we call this day Palm Sunday because they laid the palms. They cried out Hosanna, which means this, save us now. Can you imagine in a culture with so much tension, under Roman rule, these people are making this man a king coming from Bethany, heading into the east gate, which there was prophecy and words that the Messiah would come in through the east gate. So at festivals, they would leave it open on purpose. They're declaring he's the true king. And if you do this, you might as well be telling Caesar at the time or Tiberius, you are nothing, you're not the king and you will get killed right away. The religious rulers know that and they're afraid seeing all of this happening. And you've got a picture, people everywhere flooding and because of what Jesus had been doing are calling him king. He's coming in and Jesus again could have walked and be like, no, no, he accepts it. Yes, I am the king. But Jesus is coming in a very different way. See, we call this time Palm Sunday. At that time, it was not called Palm Sunday. It actually did have a name, though. That day on Sunday, six days before the actual Passover, where they killed the animal, they would select the animal. They would select a lamb. And so this Sunday, this day was actually in Israel, the day called Lamb Selection Day. And on Lamb Selection Day, the family, your family would find and select the lamb that they were going to use to atone for their sin, to kill on Passover. So they would find a lamb, like the perfect lamb, the perfect one for the family, and they would nourish it, get to know it, maybe purchase it in Jerusalem at the time. That's why they had trade and sales. And you would hear the baying of sheep and all the noise and all the stench. And you would, on this day that Jesus arrives and enters in his grand way to Jerusalem, people 
buying and selling lambs or young goats in order to sacrifice. So here's what I want you to picture. You've got a young 12-year-old Israelite, and he for the first time has just set out on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem with his father, and he's the one that's going to get to pick out the, the young goat, the young lamb for the first time. And he's going to look for a certain one. And he's going to get that lamb and he's going to have to take care of it for the next six days. So they're going to get to know it. They're going to call it Lambie. They're going to, they, I mean, there is a personability to this thing where they're going to be attached. And the reason why they did land selection day early is because they wanted it to be a serious thing. So you knew this lamb, even that you're getting to know, is the one that is going to atone for your sins. And it becomes something that's very deep in your soul, recognizing that something has to atone and die and bleed for the cause of your sins and your family. This was such a big deal. So on this day, lamb selection day, you would be finding your lamb that you're going to sacrifice on the Friday, the Passover day for your family. And not only that, all of Israel... And the priests, the Levites, all of them would be looking for the perfect lamb that had been raised outside, typically raised around the Bethlehem area. And these lambs would be raised for this specific moment for the great high priest to bring into sacrifice for all of Israel, not just people's individual family and their sin, but for all of Israel to cover their sins once more. So they would be looking for the perfect specimen, the perfect lamb. And this lamb would have been raised outside of Jerusalem in the wilderness or in the desert. When the desert means the place that the sheep or the animals go to desert, um, where they have dessert, where they eat. And so they wouldn't be able to do that in the city. They'd have to do it outside of the city. And they would find the perfect one without blemish, without spot, and have had any problems, any blemishes, it would not be used. So they would have to select the perfect lamb that that shepherd had taken care of, had groomed, had known, and had been prepared for such a time as this for all of Israel. So all of this was happening, and this, of all days, was the day Jesus decided to set his face to go to his death. John, the Baptist, would be the one cries out as he tells everybody, that's the Messiah Jesus comes to be baptized by him at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, he would cry out and call Jesus, behold, the lamb who was slain for our sins. Jesus coming in on this donkey in peace on this day through the east gate on this bridge crossing into Jerusalem in this 40-acre city. Because he's coming on this day, he's declaring, select me as your lamb. And not only that, but I will be your lamb. I chosen to be the lamb of God. And here's the thing about Jesus being the lamb. He's chosen ultimately because he makes the choice, but also because he's without spot or blemish. He was born in Bethlehem the same place they find these lambs. He was raised throughout 
Galilee. And he ultimately comes as the spotless lamb that was through fire, through pain, but without sin, walks in on a donkey declaring peace and declaring, I'm your lamb. See, here's the deal. They didn't realize that's what was happening. They were thinking, here's our king, he's gonna take over. Because on the other side of Jerusalem, from the Caesar at the time who was Tiberius, he appointed this governor named Pilate over the whole region of Caesarea. And every year around this time, Pilate would also come in during this Passover week to show, hey, don't forget, don't get too excited about your freedom and celebration and God. He would come in with roughly 600 horses and men and a chariot and come in with power on the west side and come in through the west gate with all of this noise and power and authority reminding Israel who the true king is. So they don't get any ideas of revolt. So you imagine the west side is power and authority and armor, shined, noise, banging, pounding, representing Rome and their authority with all of their taxation and all of their literal slavery over Israel. And on the east side is coming a peaceful king. And here's the thing that we find out about this lamb that comes to the slaughter. Number one, I want to point out a few things and why this matters. Because we're invited at this time, especially this time, to remember Easter. Remember a lamb who was slain for us. Because we can't save ourselves. So what does all this have to do with me? I would say this, number one, Jesus came as the lamb because we needed him to. Not, not wanted him to. In fact, what we want, just like what they want, was this coming king that would take over Rome and, and pillage everything and make Israel a kingdom again. But the lamb, not we wanted, but the one we needed was the one that came in with peace, willing to sacrifice himself for the people because he wasn't trying to destroy a governmental evil. He was trying to destroy the invisible evil, the greater evil of sin and death and the greater enemy of our soul. And only Jesus, the spotless without blemish lamb, could do this. We needed him too. The second thing, when Jesus enters or when Jesus gets involved, things change. A lot of people could say, I've, I've asked Jesus in my life or I've cried out to Jesus and nothing changed. I would say, you're probably talking to a wrong Jesus. You got the wrong number because when this Jesus enters, he, he enters, first of all, he enters not with force and power, like some kings, but he enters with peace. And he's, behold, the book of Revelation said, waiting and knocking for you to open the door. Not because he's afraid, but because he wants you to invite him into the entrance of your heart. His grand entrance shows us the peace that he brings when he enters into a situation. And so when he comes in, things will change. Everything from that day 
for the rest of history has changed because he decided to enter and become this lamb. Number three, even though Jesus came as the lamb, he is the true king. The king that comes in from the west, Pilate, with all of his armor and everything, looks like the true king, but those looks are deceiving because the true king rides a colt, a donkey, and it's full of peace and suffering for our behalf. The true king has come, and he's proven himself. And I, I don't know about you, but I love to follow humble people, not prideful people. Prideful people, it's hard to follow prideful people a lot of times for me because I feel like I'm just following for their benefit. But Jesus comes as the lamb to slaughter for our benefit, as a humble king and as the true king. For us, it's very important at this time to understand as we're being quarantined, as we're dealing with a crisis and dealing with suffering, that we serve a suffering king that enters into his suffering but exits out as a warrior. He enters in to our life as a lamb for our behalf, but he exits our life and does so much more into our life from the entrance through his resurrection power that we celebrate at Easter as the true king, as the lion of Judah for us. In this time where we're all trying to figure out what am I gonna do? Maybe some of us have lost jobs and lost opportunities. Maybe we're, we're just, by all the fear and all the news concerned about everything, even if we're not feeling something right away, there's this invisible thing out there waiting to get us. And let me tell you, of course we're walking in wisdom. But also we must refuse fear because if you know Jesus and you can today, you can serve a God that chooses and walks in the midst of death and fear and pain and chooses to become that so that we also in the midst of crisis can boldly set our face on Jesus at this time. Set our face on the one that comes to save and bring us peace on a donkey. I like this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer that says this, God allows himself to be edged out of the world and onto the cross. And that is the way, the only way in which he can be with us and help us. Only a suffering God can help. Such a beautiful thought that God's not just coming in power, but he first comes in and knows our crisis and our suffering. And yet he has overcome our suffering for us and we can too in him. As in, clothing, in closing, I wanna read Luke chapter 19, verse 37 through 40. In Luke's letter talking about the same thing, he says this. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, 
rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Jesus, in the midst of everything going on, coming in as the lamb to slaughter, is being worshiped, people crying out, Hosanna, as we saw before, save us. The religious come and say, we can't have this. We do not want Rome to hear us call another king, rebuke them, which means tell them to stop it. And Jesus doesn't say, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He says, if they don't worship and cry out, the very rocks will. And what's interesting is six days later, there would be an earthquake as Jesus is hanging on a cross and dies. The scripture records a great earthquake where the rocks literally cry out because people stopped worshiping. It went from Hosanna to crucify him. And Jesus knew, almost prophesied, the rocks are gonna cry out in worship of the true king. This is our true king. And right now in this time, we could be afraid and be like, oh, don't, don't cry out, don't do it. Or we can say, no, if we don't, the very rocks will. My encouragement to you today is to cry out to Jesus, not just for relief, but ultimately for that relationship that he longs to have with all of us as we declare he is true. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. In this time, God, giving you worship and giving you praise, Lord, because you deserve it. More than anybody else, more than anything else, you do deserve it because you come as a suffering king. You know what it means to suffer. You know what it means to go through crisis. And yet your word says you have overcome the world. So we thank you for that overcoming spirit and you overcome with peace that you bring while riding in to encourage. You overcome as the lamb, Lord, and then become the lion in our life. Lord, I pray for everyone listening today, God, that your word will go forth and they will trust you, especially during this time. God, as there's chaos and fear, Lord, that they will put their hope and trust in you as the great, true, conquering, King. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Can't wait to see you guys. We long to see you face to face. In the meantime, check out a few things that Earl's going to bring to us here in one second. God bless.